0: Welcome to Hacker in the Fed. In this episode, we're gonna talk about voice phishing, known as vishing. You know those spam calls you get on your phone all the time? Well, sometimes those are actually social engineering attacks aimed at convincing you to send money to scammers or unknowingly give cyber criminals access to your computer or phone. It's an effective twist on phishing and it employs a lot of the same basic tactics. We're gonna talk about what those attacks look like and we'll give you some examples of our experiences with social engineering. I know you will walk away from this episode with a better understanding of how to keep yourself and your loved ones safe from this increasingly prevalent tactic used by
1: cybercriminals. Hector Monseger was responsible for some of the most notorious hacks. Former ever. FBI Special Agent Chris Tarbell. Hackett and FBI informants participate in some of the world's most infamous hacks that caused up to
0: $50 million in damages, a life in the shadows, cyber attacks on the rise. Welcome to Hacker in the Fed, uh, our weekly podcast where we talk about cybersecurity and the latest news in cybersecurity. I'm Chris Tarbell, former FBI special agent specializing in cybercrime, now founding partner at Naxo. And I'm joined, as always, by my friend and podcast co-host, Hector Monsecure. Hector, how are you?
1: Pretty good. How about yourself, buddy?
0: I'm doing good. What
1: did you do this week? Um, This week was mostly uh, just red team work dealing with clients dealing with meetings endless meetings tons of meetings somebody i'm sure i'm sure you uh, you have to deal with that as well
0: i do but you you had a birthday this week uh, since the last time we talked how'd that go
1: it was okay. Uh, I can't complain. It, it went as well as it could be. But time is fleeting, unfortunately. So, yeah.
0: so uh, I had a good time this week. I uh, I flew down to uh, Texas and I was on the Lex Friedman podcast. Was no a, way,
1: That's yeah,
0: awesome. It was it a uh, very interesting sitting down and talk to him. He he, he seems like a really great guy. We talked to uh, tons of stories. I think we talked for almost four hours. It just was a hangout. So like. Um, if we could make this podcast anything like uh, like a podcast, I, it would be great to make it like Lex's podcast.
1: Oh yeah, well it's, you know, very thoughtful, well thought out, rather, and informative. And I'm sure the conversation you know went very well. You guys touched on a lot of interesting topics. I'm sure.
0: Yeah, I mean, very thoughtful questions, very thoughtful insight into the things he does. But yeah, it was just a, it was a great conversation. I you know I wouldn't say that uh, I like having uh, just four hour conversations all the time, but but this one really went by fast and. and uh um, you know, if this was my only experience on his show, which, you know, cross your fingers, it's not, I had a great time. I'm going to remember it for a while. I wrote a high um, all weekend from that.
1: Yeah, well, you know, I've seen his interviews before, and I, I know that he's, he's well thought out. He asks very good questions. In fact... He reminds me more of a social engineer rather than a podcaster in many ways.
0: Yeah, we talked about social engineering and all that and, uh, and the different, different aspects of it. We talked about you quite a bit. You came up quite a bit. Uh, no. Yeah, we did. And Hacker in the Fed came up. And so he's, uh, he's, he's going to listen to the show. So, uh, Lex, big shout out to you uh, from, from our podcast. Uh, would Love to have you on the, the show one day if you ever want to join us. You know who we talked about quite a bit on, on Lex's podcast? Oh, You'll never get AV unit. No way. Why? Because <laughs> we, we talked about, you know, he, he, he kind of, you know, oh, you're the guy that, that found Sabu. You're the guy that found Dread Pirate Roberts. You're, you know, are there any like, you know, big regrets or anything? I said, yeah, the one guy that got away, AV unit. Why don't you describe to our listeners who AV unit was?
1: Well, I mean, he, he, was, he was someone that was part of Lulsec in the beginning, at least. Um, he was kind of like the infrastructure guy. Um, he would set up you know sites or set up you know some IRC servers at one point but then he accidentally doxed himself and he disappeared after that do you think it was real dox I'm not sure I mean the reality is I mean if you look at it from an operational security stand a uh, uh, point of view he definitely made a mistake with at least one of the sites that had a public quiz kind of record but that record could have been false, right? It could have been fake information, which a lot of us did when we registered domains. But maybe he felt like it was enough information to lead back to him. That's one. If you look at it from a different angle, though, personal security, or maybe just personal in general, maybe he felt like lossick was getting way too much heat. He wanted to break out, and he used that Who Is leak as, as a kind of like the catalyst for breaking out and just disappearing from that scene. If he did that, I, you know, I commend them. Depending on who you were in that position and the outcome, for a lot of people, it really wasn't worth it, the experience. Uh, for me, it worked out in a very different way. So for me, you know, I ran with the situation as is. But for Avery unit, I'm not sure if it would have been worth going to prison and all that. So
0: I think if I was to, like, sort of, social engineer the world and fake identity, um, you know, like I'm going to put out my, my, my name or, or somebody's name and then disappear. I think that's a good idea. I probably would put out somebody that I could kind of monitor and watch uh, to see when, you know, if the FBI rolled up on them, uh, to see, you know, if, if the FBI never rolled up on that guy or you never saw it, you know, some sort of way of monitoring it, then maybe you're in the clear. Maybe the FBI is not really looking at you. I, I don't know. I, I could never wait for that knock at the door that, that would scare the shit out of me for a long time.
1: Well, it did for me, right, um, until until the end. Like, towards the end, I kind of, like, I expected it, and because you expect it at some point, it's not as bad. But, you know, there was another, um, I would say, caveat with his story specifically, or her story. We don't really know their identity. You know, that person, as far as the leak goes, the the records went back to somebody in the Netherlands And for someone that, um, for for anybody that's in cybersecurity and you interact with law enforcement or um, you see the kind of research that comes out from different countries, you know that the Netherlands have a very serious cyber police force. Those guys are straight hackers.
0: Dutch cyber crime unit, man. They are not to be messed with. Those guys are, those guys have been around for a long time and they do some really good work. Oh,
1: yeah. I mean, there was an article or or, or a story I read several years ago where they had intercepted some, uh, some Russian agents. And, you know, not only did they intercept these guys, but um, they were able to, you know, intercept them before an engagement. So they had IDs, receipts straight from Moscow. Um, And not only that, but there was another incident where they had compromised and like an APT group's camera system. And they were watching them as they were trying to like engage the United States in some way. So, yeah, I I could see why he freaked out when that little tidbit of information came out because I you know that cyber crime unit is is, is no joke
0: big shout out to those guys put them on the short list of uh, possible guests on hacker and the fed So today's episode, we're going to talk about vishing. Um, and some people might not know what that is. Um, it's uh, voice phishing, or you know, what we traditionally known as a, a phishing attack in, in cybercrime is receiving some sort like an email uh, with a link or an attachment, trying to get you to click on it. Um, this is voice phishing or vishing. Um, I was a little surprised, Hector. I was I looking this up this afternoon when I was preparing for this, and that the word vishing was entered into the Oxford Dictionary in 2015. Uh, is that surprising to you or did you know that?
1: I mean, I had no idea that was even a thing. Uh, it, it's interesting because vishing is, is something that's been around for a long time, at least in concept. Maybe the terminology is more recent.
0: You know, it's just social engineering. I mean, if we had to boil it down a little bit, it's a, it's a fancy name uh, to use in news articles for social engineering. And uh, you know, I think I believe I am talking to uh, a uh, not even a self claimed, a, a notable, uh, a f- world famous social engineer.
1: Well, social engineering is part of my toolkit for sure, and it's for the most part, aside from hacking, it's really what I'm known for, right? And I've uh, I've explored as many angles and, and different ways to to engage it with, with my targets. So for sure.
0: Where did you learn social engineering?
1: <laughs> That's a funny question because uh, it goes back to my childhood. And um, I'll give you a brief story on what that looks like, where it came from. But essentially, two directions, right? One was, um, you know, my family were big into the drug game back in the 80s and 90s. and As part of that drug game, you're living that lifestyle. You have to be very wary of people. So I would learn, you know, I would learn just by observing my uncle, uh, Rommel, or uh, my father, and how they would interact with people and ask questions. And the questions always, you know, either already had an answer, meaning they already knew the answer to the question, okay? Very similar to how the FBI works. Or the question would lead down a specific path, where information they wanted would come out of so I learned that, you know, I kind of learned a lot of a technique from that observing those two. Um, but then there was another thing that um, kind of sh- kind of shifted my interest into the show, the social aspect of interacting with people. Which is, I would um, I lived in the low East Side, and I would see, it, it, unfortunately, it was a lot of uh, drug addicts there, and I would see these, uh, you know, these uh, drug addicts were either crackheads or, or dope fiends, and. These are people that you know had a, a terrible addiction. I hope they're okay now, but in order to feed their addiction, they had to generate anywhere between two to three hundred dollars a day just to be able to get themselves to a place where they were comfortable right Two to three hundred dollars a day is a lot of money, and the way they would work it is they would use all these different mechanisms they would you know go to a store and steal something high priced and then come back and negotiate okay, that's one. But the the word of mouth, the the wordplay, the wordsmithing of, hey, listen, you know, I'm sick, and oh, listen, I'm you know, my 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 uncle's sister died, yada yada yada, right? They always played on other people's emotions so that they could make enough money to get high and feel good at the end of the day. You take all of that information, and I just absorb that.
0: So, these were just people in your neighborhood that you just watched?
1: Yeah, I was a people watcher. I would just sit there and watch people and learn off of them. I still do that to this day, actually.
0: How old are you when you're watching this sort of thing? What, what time of your life are we talking about?
1: I mean, I started, you know, I was, I, I think when I, when I became really conscious of, of what was happening in my life and I was nine, 10, 11 years old, by the time I got online at 12, I already had a good understanding as to what social engineering was. I just didn't know what, what you would call that. My uncle would call it reverse engineering mm-hmm. or, or reverse psychology or yeah. whatever. And he was like, yo, yo, boo. Cause he used to call me boo as a kid. April, watch this. Watch me watch me get your uh, aunt to lie to me real quick. And he would ask a series of questions, and boom, she would lie. It, it was it was fascinating to see, and, and I, I've applied it as part of my toolkit. Interesting. Do you remember the first time you used it? Yeah, it was about 1996 or 97. Where I'm, I'm, I, was, I was a young kid, young, stupid kid on AOL. And uh, there was a point where I, I my family couldn't afford AOL anymore. I mean, it was just me and my grandmother at the time. And um, she was running out of money. The rest of my family were in prison. Uh, My grandmother had came out from Rikers Island. So, you know, she had nothing. And um, by then I was already hooked to AOL and hooked to being online. And AOL at the time was super expensive, man. Like $39 a month or $29 a month. Which, believe it or not, you know, (laughs) that was hard on us. So in order for me to maintain that internet connection, I had to start social engineering people for their passwords so that I could log into their accounts and be online while they're sleeping or they were offline. And I still remember one of the first screen names I ever compromised, this guy named Stony 69 <laughs> And his password was like Sony something. It was something ridiculous. But I basically just I, 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 uh, I found a phishing message that I received, instant messenger. I copy and pasted it, I modified it, and I just started sending it to people. I changed my username to something else. And all of a sudden, hey, I'm Watch one and I need your password.
0: So did you ever use uh, social engineering to any compromises with Losec?
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. One of the stories that I have um, is definitely infamous for the Losec era. Really entailed just compromising a federal contractor's websites, being able to extract hashes, logging into the Google workspace, getting administrator access. And then, you know, I knew from, you know, from my personal experience in in the security industry, you know, as as minimal as it was at the time, I knew that the owner of the company had access to a domain, rootkit.com. They had a lot of resources and probably had passwords to a lot of security researchers. So I sat there and I read through the CEO's emails, absorbing not only his interactions, but also identifying potential speech patterns or how he spoke to friends rather than you know how he speaks to clients. The way he spoke to clients was very professional. The way he spoke to friends was kind of like a text message, right?
0: So when you say speaks to, you mean like types an email, not, not, you were listening to his voice messages or anything.
1: Yes. Um, So the way he communicates with his, his friends is way different than the way he communicates with like clients, for example. And um, so based off of that, you know, discovery, you know, I, I kind of absorbed how he spoke to his friends. And that's exactly what I did. I reached out to one of his friends that actually happens to be the administrator for uh, the rootkit.com website. I wrote him, you know, a shorthand as to what it is that I wanted, which was access to that server. Hey, I'm traveling. I'm passing through Germany or Belgium. I forgot where exactly. And um, I need access to the server. Can you drop the firewall? Give me SSH uh, username. Um, and SSH, by the way, is a secure shell. It's a way to, to uh, communicate with a server. And I was able to get a SSH access, have him drop the firewall, log in, and then I took over the server from there. But the, the important part of this is the social engineering aspect, right? You have to look at it as, as, like I would now have a pen testing engagement. I had to identify the scope, the targets. I had to put together um, methodology, absorb the way he spoke to folks, and then, of course, engage. And that's pretty much how that went.
0: So when you sent that email to request access, did, did you go as far to to get a like a, an IP address in the country you're saying you're coming from?
1: No, no, it was even, it was less than that. I mean, you know, I did ask for, um, um, I already knew the IP for the server, okay? Because um, I found the IP for the server internally in the emails um, when I was kind of like trudging through the emails, trying to you know absorb as much info as I could. But I, what I did ask of that administrator was, my username, which I should have known, right? I, I'm I'm the CEO mm-hmm. to reset the password and also to drop the firewall rules so that I could SSH in. Uh-huh. And he was very um, uh, happy to help me get to that point.
0: Is that because when you were building the profile through the email, you saw like their relationship where this was like CEO and underling type type thing, and you exploited that?
1: Well, I wouldn't say underling, but more like maybe a, a, a counterpart or, or a colleague in a way. Even though they did not work together, it seemed like they had a very personal relationship. So it was easy for me to kind of exploit that personal relationship, which is what makes social engineering so effective.
0: Yeah, that's fascinating. So uh, I think I, I probably had heard that story, but it probably been since probably ten years since I've heard that story. So I think it takes a little bit more context now that you know I, I know you a little better. So to and and building that profile, going through there, what sort of time were we talking about?
1: Yeah. So this was a twenty-four hour compromise. Um, hmm. At the, at the time, it was very fast paced. You know, I got I got the initial entry within the first hour. I had access to, um, and you know, the, the email admin privileges within the next hour after that, you know, so that's two hours in and then the, the next stage was absorbing and, and, and digesting or ingesting. Oh, and so going back to your, 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 your early question around this time, once I'm already in this, is when I start giving out access to folks and download the emails and extract them. Mm. So, yeah, I mean, it, it was, it was an interesting ride. But it really highlights the importance of, you know, having a security policy, even with friends and family. Like, hey, if, by the way, I send you a random email at, you know, 2 in the morning asking for access to our internal file storage, maybe you should, like, go to the next room and see if I'm there sleeping. If I am, then don't send them. (laughs) <laughs> Don't send axes outwards,
0: right? Yeah, it's a pretty simple check, you know. I, I always tell people, you know, if someone's calling you about like a, a money transfer or something like that, or they're, they're emailing you about it, just give them a call. Give them a call and talk about it. It's a pretty simple check to to get past. But- onto that call and uh, some and what we're seeing uh, a new trend in, in cybercrime like we discussed uh, vishing so back in 2020 there was a group uh, going around and the hack at the time was called uh, the bazaar call and it, it used an email to get the victims to call a phone number they were looking for that, that they were looking the victim for the victims to call so they get these victims would receive the email call the number and then technical support would come on and have them go to a very specific URL or a domain uh, type in their browser um, the 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 a very specific name and it would go, their device would go to that website and download malware now we're starting to see a a little bit uh, different, a little twist on this, um, because I think everyone's been educated on that 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 you don't you know go to weird links, you don't click on links, you don't click on attachments. People still do all the time, uh, but they need the bad guys change up the ways. You know they they try to catch people off guard. So a new uh, malware has come out, and it's uh, identified uh, a network of phishing websites that all they're trying to do is target users uh, of specific banks. And they'll get the contact information. They'll have them just just enter a phone number. If you use this bank, and, and something will go astray, and then the fraudulent websites collect that that contact information, uh, and then the cyber criminals now are just calling. They're, they're reaching out directly to the number and cyber criminals uh, one of their big ways of getting success is by inciting panic in people um oh shit you you know your bank is being gonna be robbed if you don't do this sort of thing tech did you find yourself like uh, using that tactic for like inciting panic uh, to get people to act quickly
1: yeah well especially now that I'm doing red team work and I have to um, follow the rules of engagements and there may be clients that ask me for like a lapsus style, you know, attack or, you know, whatever it is they read in the newspaper at the the time, um, they'll say, hey, we need someone to communicate with our support staff. And we kind of need you guys to interact with them in a way that, you know, allows you to reset someone's password, for example, which would be highest severity, critical would be worst case scenario for any organization. And yes, I'll call in or have someone call in you know, depending on, on, on I would say, a lot of context. And I'm going to go into context in a moment. And then, yeah, we'd say something like, hey, I'm I'm doing a, an event with the CEO right now or the CISO. We can't log into the the to, into the Zoom or conferencing center. You know, this is a major problem. We're, we're dealing with the board right now. Please, can you reset this account? We'll call you right back for, with authorization, right? And believe it or not, it works. It works very well because you got to remember the support staff or IT or help desk, These are folks that are probably in terms of like pay grade, they're probably at the lowest pay grade. Um, This is more than likely an entry level job for them. And they don't want to piss off, you know, senior management or anything like that because they're hoping to, grow within the business right
0: not just that i mean their job is to help i mean it professionals are there to provide access and and help people get to the data they need to get so just by the their job title alone i mean that's what they're supposed to do um now whether they do it in a secure way and have make security conscious decisions you know that comes along with training and
1: education absolutely i mean it really goes back to what we, we always discuss you and i change your that- passwords. <laughs> well, well, yeah, but more than that, right? That, that security is more of a mindset, right? So as you're, as you're kind of onboarding these IT slash help desk folks, you want to make sure that, okay, if someone calls you, even if it's a CEO and they're, they need their password reset, we need to make sure that you at least validate who that person is prior to the engagement or the execution of the password reset. But it, it is still very effective, Chris. So uh, Vishing, uh. social engineering in general, schmishing, whatever you want to call it, this stuff works. And again, we really need to highlight the importance of, of a security uh, having a good security hygiene and having a methodology in place. Now, let's talk about context. Here's what I've learned from my experience as a social engineer over the last 20-odd years, right? It's quite effective. I mean, there may not be a science behind this. But in terms of the outcome and what we're seeing in terms of success, we're seeing that if the target is a male, it's easier for us to bring in a female to interact with them and have more success rather than if I call them and I'm like, hey, buddy, can you change my password?" right? This is also why a lot of security companies are hiring women to do physical engagements or they may even put on, I forgot this lady's name. She's awesome. But I have her on Twitter, I think. But, you know, she's known for like walking around with like, you know, a pregnant belly or whatever. Right. Mm -hmm. One of those attachments. But yeah, there's a lot of context and there's a lot of different angles that you could target that you can use when you're targeting, um, you know, folks for social engineering campaigns.
0: Yeah, so I was reading that, you know, this new phishing campaign and why it's, you know, all the rage these days. It's because they're trying to circumvent, you know, other the obstacles that go along with regular phishing. You know, the the Google Play store droppers, uh, the rogue ads, and, and the smishing, like we talked about, the uh, text-based phishing stuff. Um, you know, there's a lot of uh, obstacles that go along with that. But, it, you know, thinking about it, those are easy. So, you know, you make the ad, you send the text to 10,000 users. If one person clicks on it, it's a success one of the things with vishing that kind of stood out with me is that that for, from the cyber criminals perspective this requires a lot more research resources on their side you know to you know they have to make all the calls uh, and have that infra- infrastructure set up but they're getting a much higher success rate this way. I think that stems from the education of don't click on that link, don't click on that download. Um, and so they're they're changing their ways um, and, and they're seeing good results. I mean, if you were to consider, you know, social engineering a business, you know, uh, because of this change in tactics, uh, you know, to get better results, they're going to stick with that. And that's kind of a scary
1: idea. No, it is scary, but I, I'm also glad that, You know, we do have training and there's a lot of folks that constantly hear about change your password, rotate passwords, use unique passwords. I think password security overall has gotten better. It's still a weakness, but has gotten better over time. In terms of social engineering and clicking links as well, you know, it's one thing to train, right, your employees. But you also, from the security perspective, a security engineering perspective, you want to be able to put in technical controls in place. They will work hand-in-hand in tandem with that training. Case in point, if you're an organization and you purchase into something like, a, like an email security platform like Mimecast or Proofpoint or, or similar, right, those tools have a ton of different options. One option that's very effective is if an email is an external email, meaning it comes from an external domain, then you want to automatically add external to the subject line, external to the body. So that your employees understands that this is not an email from your CEO. More than likely, this is is an email from someone on the outside. That works very well alongside training. Um, But we can't have either or. We can't have one thing and not the other, right? Yeah, I agree. Email security is extremely important. um, And we need to continue on that path. Now, in terms of infrastructure, you made a point, right? The attackers need to come up with infrastructure and put that in place. But I'll be honest with you. As someone who does this professionally, it takes me about a minute to create a whole brand new phishing and vishing platform, you know, using you know my API scripts or scripts that are, are basically interfacing with API. Additionally, if your attackers or adversaries are from Eastern Europe, they have a very strong accent, Slavic or Asian. They no longer have to make the phone calls because there are plenty of services online that, if you provide, you know, these these employees or these services a template and a phone number, they will call and read out the template for you and bring you back the information kind of like call centers on the mat. Right. Yeah. So, and, and I'm saying this to scare the audience because if you hear a nice, pretty Southern accent calling you, um, it doesn't mean that these are your compatriots, right? Um, it could be a uh, adversary using one of those services just because they don't have a Chinese or Russian accent. doesn't mean they're not the bad guys.
0: Just to to further scare the audience, and I I think that's one thing you and I get criticized a lot for, but the FBI put out a report this week that that there's 90,000 elderly Americans in 2021 that that were scammed out of $1.7 billion. That's insane. And and it goes along these lines of these phishing. um, We find that that elderly people, one, are a little bit uh, scared of technology, may not know technology as well, but they also want to do the right thing. Um, and, and so they're, they're sort of easily convinced that, you know, oh, something's bad it's happening to your bank accounts. I'm here to help you go to this website and that's all they have to do. And then, then the, their life savings is gone. So it's a, it's a scary thing. I mean, I, I couldn't imagine, you know, and that's another thing. $1.7 billion is going to keep the criminals in the game. Um, if you don't think more people are attracted to just commit crime, to get a, a piece of that $1.7 billion, you're insane.
1: Well, think about it like this. The more money these adversaries make, the more they have in terms of funding for future engagements. Let's let's start off. Let me put out, let me put out a scenario for you and the audience. Let's say an attacker. He's just a low level social engineer. He's stolen people's Instagram passwords. That's as far as he got, right? He does a, a ransomware campaign. He gets two payments, small payments, but now he has a hundred thousand dollars to play with. Okay through his network connections in the quote-unquote underground or scene or whatever it is you want to call it now, now he's able to buy exploits with that $100,000, okay? Now, you you know, you you went from someone that was, in essence, a a, a neophyte, someone that was new to the the hacking scene, and now they're walking around with $25,000 exploits and now they're targeting enterprises.
0: Yeah, if they're like a good small business, they're gonna reinvest in themselves and they're gonna buy those exploits and, and go up a level uh, and develop their skill sets. So, so yeah, it's, it's really kind of a scary situation, I gotta be honest. But yeah, like you said, I'm just gonna echo what you said already, the takeaways, education, awareness, and critical thinking. Understand that you are a target. I mean, I think that's really a problem. Uh, people believe, oh, not me, they're not coming after me. If you have an online presence, you have the potential of being an online victim. Um, that, that's it. You, you, you know, even if people just want to have access to your uh, email account to, to use it to send out phishing emails to your friends and contacts, you know that makes you the victim. Um, you you could think, oh, they don't. I don't have anything they want. You do. If you have an online presence, you have something. And, and specifically for for what we're talking about here, this vishing from the bank accounts. Don't take the call. If you do take the call, if you think your bank is calling you and and you're legitimately concerned, hang up if they call you, and then go look on the back of your credit card or your debit card or your latest bank statement. Look at the phone number that they provided you there, and call that number. They'll be more than happy that you you won't upset it. If it's a legit call from your bank, they'll be more than happy if you hang up and call them back just to verify that you have them on a number that you're aware of. People are are very concerned about offending someone or making them upset. You need to think about protecting your your identity and protecting your
1: finances. A hundred percent, and and I'll add to that. I mean, technical controls are extremely important. And what I mean by technical controls, we're talking about things like MFA, or you know, we could also multi-factor authentication.
0: Hector, come on, we don't use abbreviations on this podcast.
1: So you want to you want to definitely incorporate technical controls, um, you know, within your. Uh, Within your environment to try to help mitigate some of this stuff, you want to be preemptive or proactive about your security measures. And I'll give you one last example in this topic that I think goes a long way. If you join a corporation, organization, anything where you have to interface with people over the phone uh, regularly, well, you may want to consider asking for or funding your own separate phone um, or phone number. And you get a phone number through Grasshopper or through any type of VoIP provider, it doesn't really matter. The point is, is that, you know, you want to be able to segment your personal life from your professional life. So if you're getting a phone call on your professional number from your bank, more than likely it is a scam.
0: So, Hector, I think uh, we did uh, two things here, uh, three things. I think we told some pretty good stories. Um, I think we educated the audience about phishing and the, uh, the, re- the reality of what's out there. Um, and we gave them some takeaways on, on how they can protect themselves against it. So uh, another great episode of Hacker in the Fed.
1: Oh, yeah. No, this was solid. And and again, if the audience has any questions, I do believe we have an email for them. Is that right?
0: Yes. Yes. Reach out to us at questions at hackerinthefed.com. Again, you can email us your cybersecurity questions, your life questions. We'll answer anything. Uh, send us your questions at questions at hackerinthefed. Uh, I'd also ask you to, if you enjoy the program, or even if you don't enjoy the program, uh, download and subscribe wherever you get your podcast. Uh, there's a new episode that drops every Thursday. Um, same format, same two guys talking to you every uh, every week. Uh, we'll start having some guests on the show, maybe some lull set guests, uh, cybersecurity guests, or hopefully Lex Friedman comes on the show. So that would be that would be a great guest to get, too. So uh, again, Hector, a great episode. The Hacker and the Fed, uh, another one uh, in the books. Cheers.